OTB GAA Scale has opened the war definitely with the football pod Where are your power rankings now? The Royal Rumble that's coming our way Hurling pod versus football pod Will, you're a coward Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts Football on Off The Ball With Sky Watch every single live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports I'm prepared to edit my can well, do it then Do it then What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad was it? <laughs> Why should be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. Okay let's start this thing sharpish with the main man Graeme Hunter Good evening You're very welcome Joe, I've missed you. Joe, I've missed you so much. Good to be with you again. <laughs> uh, we had a question in earlier on. We were just chewing the fat in here. And it was that dreadful question that you get asked sometimes. And my mind certainly goes blank. So I'm going to fire it your way, given that you are uh, Mr. The Big Interview. Uh, who is the favourite person? Pal. Who is the favourite person, your favourite guest on your show that you've interviewed? Oh, will you stop? It's the worst. I need a week's preparation for that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah. Listen, you intro that well. Look, um, well, I've been surprised. Um, so recently, when I was down with uh, Adam Lalana in Brighton, we were struck by his uh, brilliant articulacy in describing Alexis McAllister. That made the hair stand up. Most recent of all, Martin O'Neill, whereby. Martin's so popular. He's been around as a footballer and as a coach for so long. I didn't expect to hear things that that stood out as new. It was more like, let's let him be eloquent on themes. No, 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 no. He he told me about being a young Northern Irishman in the Midlands of England in the middle seventies when the when the when the when the campaign from the IRA reached England and in fact forty eight hours before one of the two pubs that were bombed in Birmingham blew up. He'd been in there by total fluke uh, with his brother and a teammate um, prior to watching a gig in Birmingham. And, and he'd missed that that terrible tragedy by 48 hours. And he spoke about it beautifully. It, I, I could go on. Um, who stands out as the absolute best? I was I, I, One of the ones that will never leave me is Chris Waddle for two reasons, uh, Joe. And, and I know you didn't want the Iliad and the Odyssey from me in an hour's worth of answer. I know. I know. But when, when, when Chrissy Waddle talked about growing up in Newcastle and having his, I think his mum's sister living in Watford, I said to him, I asked him if he remembered watching the World Cup final in 1966. And he said, well, what we used to do like, to get to TV was, we had a, my mum and dad had a big motor motorcycle and a sidecar. And I think it was mum and dad plus three kids all on the motorbike and in mm. the sidecar. And he said that roads, big main motorways were quite new then. And they genuinely were. So he said they, they were going at such a slow pace that they used to clamber over one another and change places without stopping on the drive down from, this is him as a tiny kid and, and two younger siblings, I think, clambering over one another, this genius of the game, this great man of the game. And also the, from Chris as well, um, being rooming with Gaza and Gaza going out and buying you know, crates full of eggs and waiting late at night in the team hotel they were in because there was a, 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 what was then quite a new ATM cash machine um, about, I suppose, but, you know, Chris described it as about 35, 40 metres away. And guys would, guys would open the, the window beautifully and just take up the eggs and start pelting whoever was doing the ATM with a couple of egg sniper shots and then closing the window and pretending nobody was there. 
And um, the final one, again, with Chris was him talking about loving the, particularly Sheffield Wednesday where Ellsborough was old, did the wooden seats would, if you stood up suddenly, the wooden seats would clack and you could hear hundreds and then thousands. As he took a man on and beat him, you could hear hundreds of wooden seats in his mind going clack, 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 clack. As people stood up going, go on, Chris. And then as he lost his way, as, as form departed and age caught up with him, he would hear nothing. And he talked about how depressing that was. And, you know, if you gave me the rest of the show, I could give you 70 highlights from the 135, 136 interviews. And all I would close this off by saying is the generosity of people to keep doing this um, as a favour um, and three or four of our guests involuntarily have been reduced to tears. And the best thing of all, Joe, is, is the number of listeners who'll say, I've been having a really hard time recently. This must be the same for you with Off the Ball, that people can put their headphones in and lose themselves from their troubles and can feel lifted away from whatever is making them blue. And some people have talked to us outright about having come through depression and needed a place to go in their minds. And the interviews help them. And, you know, I'll go from now to my grave um, when Gaz, Gaz gets me with his eggs night we're at. Um, being grateful for that feedback and that experience. Mm. Yeah, we do get the same correspondence sometimes from listeners. And it's lovely because there are definitely days as important as sport is where I drive home thinking, what the hell are we doing here? This is just silly talking about this stuff so much. Oh, that's because you're a grown up man. I never do. No, no, no. <laughs> That's good, literally because you've got a grown-up mind and you're, the years that we've known each other have established, you've got different priorities. I never, ever do that. I have better or worse days. But what, what, sport is equal in human creation to opera, theatre, cinema, television, ballet. It just is. Sport is it's equal to and, and above all of that. Nobody ever says, oh, God, I wonder... God, I wonder if we should chuck this cinema thing, this this opera, this ballet thing, and that flipping it. No, it's much more important to think about deficits and I'm, I'm, you know, uh, local budget, local council spending. Come on, Joe. I hear you. I'm not saying we should stop sport. I'm just wondering if I need to talk about Man United's right back of a Tuesday every week. That's all. <laughs> I tune in. I tune in to listen to you doing that. Uh, I listened to that Waddle episode of yours and it is just so so good and the way he describes Gaza pelting eggs out the window at unsuspecting ATM people <laughs> is comedic gold and like naturally enough you know as he said Gaza's a crack shot I mean of course he is he's Gaza yeah. I mean, he doesn't miss yeah well listen I'll give you a little anecdote now when I first did when I first uh, got a full time job in the Scottish Daily Mail having been a freelance for the Sunday Times for a few years the first tour I was ever sent on was a Rangers tour of uh, Denmark in the summer when they'd incorporated Laudrup and Gascoigne and Gorham was there and Goffinite. So we went on this mad, led by the late Walter Smith and Archie Knox. It was full of, I mean, unbelievable hilarity and um, anecdotes from Walter that would leave you genuinely helpless, helpless with laughter. One of the funniest men ever. But in the top of the hotel um, was a games room. And in those days, I mean, flipping it, Joe. You know, not only did we travel with them, we lived in the same hotel as them. And when it came to nicking up to play pool or table tennis, you could wander in and if they were playing, you could put your, you know, your 10 kroner down and, and bag your game or they would wander in it. 
I played both Gorham and Gaza at table tennis. And like you say about typically Gaza was an egg sniper supreme. Um, his t- it was like he had eight arms at table tennis. It was, I mean, I'm, I was okay then. I was many, many years younger. I don't know how many years it is. Is that 27 years younger? I, don't, I can't count another of the things I'm deficient at. But it, yeah, it, it, you, you picked up a bat and you thought, I'll give him a go. I'll make it difficult. I'll, I'll put some spin. I'll drop one over the net. Gaza was just everywhere. It was like eight arms. It was like playing an octopus with skills. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I'll bet. It's it's so interesting how the relationship has changed there with journalists and players. And by the way, I will get on to what I want to talk to you about in a moment. But it, it, it was striking... Gareth Southgate certainly tried to build a bridge a couple of years ago and felt that might be of benefit. Clearly, his priority is the team. So of benefit to the team, uh, be that it might demystify the scary journalists or maybe it might soften the criticism that would uh, go in their direction if journalists, you know, they're human beings as well. And they're like, God, I really like Jack Grealish when I play darts with him. So I won't criticise him quite as viciously. Uh, Do you think the modern generation have lost out on something by not having... Um, a fairly freewheely uh, relationship with journalists or, 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 or do you think you know what they're well away from it and, and actually all the blockades that are up now suit the player uh, well typically it's neither one nor another it's a giant big Gordian knot of a problem because you know the answer and so do, so your, your listeners are so well educated that like your shows in general across my 21 years talking to you your shows clinically represent what it used to be like between journalists, broadcasters and sportsmen and women because there's a degree of intimacy, there's a degree of trust, the, the, the level of discussions or arguments that you have are not based on polemic. They might get heated or they might get funny or the anecdotes might be cutting or somebody might share something emotionally stirring. But a lot of it is based on trust and mutual respect and those are the things that have been lost. So... It's quite patent if you could if you could wave a magic wand, and I wish we could, and go back to those days, particularly including the days of my predecessors. You know, it certainly uh, didn't intimacy with sports people, nor the breakdown started in my era. It had begun earlier, but you know, my predecessors particularly in, in, enjoyed an extraordinary amount of friendship and knowledge, and, and players weren't rich, so journalists were viewed as people who could definitely help the profile, help, help them with sponsors. Um, there weren't agents, just before my time, there weren't agents, so journalists were used to tap up footballers and managers. And um, we've lost, uh, certainly we've lost respect, we've lost uh, mutual understanding. And um, every time I've been, you know, now over many tournaments, I've, I've been in the same hotel or the same aeroplane as Spain, occasionally with Barcelona, several, well, many times with Manchester United. And when you can speak to players and when they see that you're doing the miles and you're working hard and at three in the morning, you're loading your um, massive amount of kit cameras and yeah, lights and, and tripods and tons of material and you're sweating and slogging at three in the morning to get from flipping, you know, Cape Town to Pochester, their attitude towards you was a little bit enlightened. If you... If if you if they if tra- when training was open and I know you're talking a little bit more about larking about with them, but when training was open, I, I, I spent half an hour talking to Lucy and Ricky about this four or five days ago. The the idea that you could go in and watch what a coach was attempting to achieve with his drills, 
And you were just inevitably, when you were a good, bad, or indifferent journalist, you were capable of going away and writing in a far more accurate, educated way about what was being attempted, what the process was yeah. before a game came along. Yeah. So, but then we, we, you know, we, we crapped in our own feet, didn't we? By you know every, you know every paper sent a journalist who had a big story and a splash story. That was true of journeys. That was true of hotels. But yeah, we've we've even if we as an industry now can't be trusted to resurrect that level, Joe. Not only have we lost that, those who listen or read have lost that because we used to bring them um, a far greater degree of intimate access and accuracy and humour and yes. we were much more human in our description of these people. I think that's very true and uh, the lack of access means that we're taking scraps and reading far too much into them. So at the moment, for instance, I haven't seen a single piece, not a single piece tell me how Graham Potter's training sessions are going. But I have seen yeah. I have seen several dozen pieces tell me that Graham Potter is too reasonable or too nice or too normal and lacks an ego to be a big manager because it's just based on this this glimpse we get in a press conference or on the touchline. And as a reader, I read these pieces and say, you're giving me nothing here. And and yeah. that is that is down to a lack of access. And and that example is one of a gazillion day well, in day out. You, you took me back to what we tried to do in in the big interview, and and, and I, I listen. I, whether I achieve it or I don't achieve it, it's what I try to do. And I'm writing for ESPN or talking to you, um, or Chair. Um, I, I said it when I talked about opera and cinema and ballet and TV. Football in itself is deeply fascinating. We we now live in an era whereby whether viewers and listeners and fans at games do or don't know more about football or understand more about football, every single one of them thinks they do. Our terminology has changed dramatically over your and my career. Yeah. The terminology that fans want to use. There are now people who are, who are simply fans, not in our uh, profession, who may well know much more about football tactics or training tactics. And there are all kinds of software packages that, that really lift their knowledge and their education gigantically. And therefore, like you said about this COD psychology that you will hear ten a penny on Potter, which you won't know how to differentiate between the one article, which is actually well sourced about his personality or his feelings or what the players feel about him, and the 72 others, which are just yeah. guesswork. Yeah. Because the real the real stuff can easily be in there, but how would you tell? Mm, it's true. So uh, to the situation in Spain, which is pretty interesting just now, we have three Classicos in four weeks upcoming one in the league and then two-legged Copa del Rey affair. And the weekend just gone was interesting. On uh, Saturday, the Madrid derby was one all, And so Barcelona had the chance to go 10 points clear against lowly Almeria. They lost 1-0. The comments of Xavi jumped out. He said, the defeat leaves me really angry. It was a day to make a statement in the league. There's no excuse. There was no intensity. There was not even a desire to win. And that worries me. Uh, so explain what's happening here at Barcelona, if we can um, say much is happening at all. But they're especially strong comments from Xavi. Well, first of all, I think that um, for a 43-year-old manager in his first full season, again, what you talked about, about what's talked about is is worth consideration because he has done well. He's won a trophy. He's currently seven points clear. All the things you talked about are, are completely true. Losing Tal Maria for the first time in their history was bad. 
Madrid had been full of doom and gloom in drawing against 10 men at Leti um, on the Saturday night. It had been a marvellous opportunity for a, you know, a, a flailing Barca because in recent weeks they've they've lost a lot of impetus and confidence. Lewandowski is not playing well. Now, mind the goals, he's not playing well. Uh, Pedri's injured, Dembele's injured. So, uh, focusing on Xavi, his his words will prove to have been a little bit injudicious because they were in the heat of the moment. Sometimes a real a real tongue lashing can change a dressing room, can change, can make people, individuals waking up. And it, it was it was anger and it was pressure. He's been booked three times in recent games, never sent off, but he's been consistently booked. And in the background to what he's trying to do, which is take a squad, which was a wasteland when he inherited it in November of 21. Um, he's got them seven points clear. They've won a trophy. When they won the trophy, they took Madrid to pieces. Over his time, they've beaten Madrid 4-0 at the Bernabeu, they've beaten Napoli, they've beaten Galatasaray. They, uh, he's, in his first 46 Liga games, Xavi has a record, which is second best in Barca's history. Three points less than Luis Enrique and equal to Pep Guardiola in his first 46 game, Liga games, which was the season that they were going to... He had the, Pep had the vintage Messi, vintage Busquets, vintage Xavi, vintage Iniesta, Busquets, Piquet, Puyol, and they won the treble. And Chabi's stats in his first 46 La Liga games are equal to Pep's, exactly equal. And what you saw at the weekend, I'll split the, the end of the answer into two parts, is is, Chabi, is the tension of a Chabi who's got a club whereby they're in desperate debt. The financial fair play situation while Chabi's been manager has been hugely embarrassing for him to be able to register players, buy players, go through with promises about renewing contracts for players. That's Embarrassing for him, but it's out with his control. La Liga recently told him, you're you're now another 200 million short of making uh, financial fair play. Um, there was a there was a refereeing scandal erupted where the tax office um, have given what seems to be pretty clear proof that Barcelona as an institution were paying for um, information and advice and guidance on referees from a man who was the vice president of the refereeing committee at the FA. So all of this is going on, which is, if it, once proven, is utterly scandalous. Xavi's in the middle of this maelstrom in his first full season in a senior club in Europe, an elite club, with all the pressure that brings. And I think that the words that you're talking, because I, you know, I heard uh, the inflection of a Carlo Ancelotti eyebrow raise from you, Joe. It was very similar. I think like it wasn't just the result. Football can happen, but it's like. WTF, Chavi baby, what, what what's mm. going on there? Pressure, I think is the answer. He knows exactly what you've said that uh, Thursday night is the first leg of the Glasgow Cup semi-final. Uh, it's away. Um, it looks very like well, Dembele and Pedri won't make it. Uh, Lewandowski probably won't make it, and frankly, at the moment, that won't be much loss. And there they, they are several players who, in the training system, which gives you a, a red light, amber light, green light on your on your training bib. There are five players, including Lewandowski, who are registering red numbers at the moment. And in other words, they, they shouldn't be playing and, and tra- training as hard and playing a game every three days, which they are at the moment, and that's unavoidable. So they've got problems. They've got really big problems. And what he can imagine coming is well, if they don't manage to claw out a reasonable result in the Bernabeu, the pressure will go up. The, the people will utterly forget seven points advantage in the league. They'll forget the Spanish Super Cup. They'll forget the stats. 
about how his team has still only conceded. I mean, I, I'm, I think it's eight goals in the league all season, which is the lowest total in any big league in in Europe. Those will be chucked out the window. And Joe, I'll ask you and ask your listeners in 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 a balanced view of what's going on, should they be chucked out the window? Probably not. But we live in a very intemperate uh, now, now, now society. And I think he's beginning to show that pressure because I think he knows that if they, you know, they they, they could get a spanking on Thursday. They could. I'm not saying they will, mm. but it's in the wind. And is the Madrid that we saw at Anfield, not least that second half where at times they were devastating, is that an indicative of an improved Madrid of late or, or where are they at the moment as they head towards the final few furlongs in this league race? Yeah, well, they weren't very good against Atleti until the newest wonder kid, Alvaro Rodriguez. He's a brilliant story. Born in Catalonia, brought up in Catalonia. Um, it looked like Barcelona just let, didn't see him under their very noses. Instead, what happened was his Uruguayan dad and he himself, Madridistas to the core, they, you know, they were playing all their football an hour away from camp now and the academy there. And he's like, no, oh, Madrid, 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 Madrid. Even when he was 14, 15, 16. And they've been, Raul has been saying for some time, and now Ancelotti's going to look out for this, Alvaro. He just came back from finishing runner-up to Brazil in the South American Under-20 Championship, scored five goals in the tournament. Um, he comes on the other week um, with, I think, in the 88th minute, Creates a brilliant assist. Valverde has rendered him offside. He creates a, another brilliant assist 90 seconds later for the second goal for Asensio. And then in his second La Liga game, he comes on again. Aleti leaps as if he's got a stepladder and scores the equaliser. But there was no correlation between the Madrid we saw against Aleti and the Madrid we saw at, at Anfield. And the the danger is 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 not that Madrid are just a, simply a ramming machine who will render Barcelona into splinters. It's that they are still Pavlovian, as they've been for the best part of my awareness of them on the planet, probably their entire history, but certainly in modern history, post-war history. It's if the bell rings, they come out hungry and they're dangerous. If you give them a, a work-a-day game against a smaller side, particularly on a very bad pitch at the Bernabeu, yeah. they may stumble. They may look a little bit sluggish. Uh, and Anfield, the bell rang, and when it's a classical, this time the bell will ring, and they all bought the one for, for the Super Cup in Saudi Arabia, where they couldn't move physically. They'd been deliberately worked hard by Pintus after the World Cup, because Pintus knew that, oh, apart from the gap they got immediately between the end of the World Cup and the early part of January, there would be basically no more fitness training until June. Only maintenance. And therefore, when they last played Barcelona, they were on their knees physically, so that they would produce performances like they did at Anfield or like they did against City at home or Chelsea away last season. It was a calculated gamble. And at the moment, I've been using the phrase, when Madrid play play the theme tune, Leila Schiffen's theme tune to Jaws. Because Ancelotti's been telling us for about three weeks now, we're coming. Okay. And and when he says that, you believe him. Mm. So Interesting. it won't be quite Anfield on Thursday night, but it could be something like it, Joe. Interesting. I'm on a maintenance-only regime as well of late. <laughs> you don't look too bad, on it now? Oh, dear. Um, uh, I'm low to bring up this topic because it's just going to massively bring down the, the mood. So uh, we'll go there nonetheless, uh, relatively briefly. But 
Jonathan Liu caught my attention in The Guardian because he uh, is writing about Vinicius and uh, what I suppose now is the ongoing racist abuse he suffers. You and I spoke a number of months ago. It was on the back of a ridiculous television debate and uh, you were strong in your condemnation of what was being said about Vinicius at that stage. The first... um, a sense I had that this thing was actually becoming a, an ongoing trend was when somebody asked Jurgen Klopp if there was a provocative aspect to Vinicius's behaviour, as in, was he doing something to deserve racism? And Klopp gave that question the short shrift it deserved. I then heard that during a minute silence for the uh, victims of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, that there were isolated shouts very much directed at Vinicius. And I saw Ancelotti uh, coming out to condemn them, amongst others. Um, so this is now extended from whatever flashpoint happened when we spoke a number of months ago into just like this ongoing treatment of this uh, poor young man. Yeah, I uh, wrote about it, I think, maybe three weeks ago for ESPN in my column. Okay. And I have never, ever had so much response, so much attention to column, I think, in my life. Um, I wrote in in big angry capital letters that it was unquestionably racist but what was worse um, and Jonathan the other day used the same phrase that there have been people that either deliberately and I think most of it is deliberate or inadvertently have been not like not gaslighting him but trying to convince everybody that it's his fault and the instant that Vinicius I mean I'm a belligerent aggressive person so that needs to be taken into context, but and very. But I support him in 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 the way that he's become chippy and in people's faces because two things are happening to him every single weekend, which is the racist things are being shouted at him from the stand, and then in domestic football, not in the World Club Championship or in Champions League, where you take your licks and and largely it's it's not targeted. In, in Spanish football, it's been open season, and and the day when. You know, he was fouled, I think it was 13 or 14 times against Mallorca, and nobody from Madrid had been fouled that many times for eight or nine years. And if you go back to the beginning of the incident with Mallorca, where Maffeo, who's been bitching and moaning about Vinicius's attitude, Maffeo tries to... T- and go find this. This is the 4-1 win by Madrid in Mallorca last season. Go find it on YouTube, everybody. Maffeo tries to take Vinicius's knee off. And the referee, and it's one of our better referees, ignores it, doesn't give a foul. There's a, there's a, there's a bit of a hold me back between all the players. Then other players come seeking Vinicius and the referee turns on him because he's reacted by now about a minute and a half, two minutes after the original foul for which the player isn't booked and a, and a throw in is given and Vinicius ends up getting booked. I'm not a Madrid, Madridista. It's just as plain as your eyes that this is a concerted campaign whereby people on the pitch are taking advantage of the general lack of action against racism, virulent, naked, nasty racism, in thinking, well, here's here's an opportunity. If we kick him or bully him or poke him or say something to him, which chances are he'll be sent off. And initially... Remedy's players weren't taking it seriously. And lately, they've been rallying around him when Gabriel Paulista tried to kick Vinicius out of the Bernabeu stands. 
It was brilliant. Rodrigo was on him in an instant. Camavinga was on him in an instant. Militao had been taken off. And listen, people can like or, or not like my Charles Bronson, you know, Avenger type uh, vigilante behaviour. But my my perspective is if it gets to that behaviour with violence that will that can ruin your season, your career, and racism, then you take one of ours, we take six of yours. That's my point of view. I shouldn't be editorialising, but that's that's the point of view I come from. Militao went looking for Gabriel Paulista as he came off the pitch from his red card. I was like, that's, show the world that you support Vinicius teammates. And they have been. And then they started doing it in in press conferences and post-matches, mix zones. Thankfully, at last, and therefore the debate is changing a little bit. They're, oh, you know, <laughs> white players are saying that Vinicius has been picked up. Oh, well, well done in that case. Maybe we better discuss it differently. It, it's, it's atrocious. I read Jonathan's piece... I think personally it's far worse than he described. And he made a broader point about society. But for my taste, it's it's beyond disgusting. It's verging towards the worst racism I ever saw, which was at a cup game between Madrid and Atleti. And I, I, I phoned Sky, I phoned off the ball, and I phoned Sky to say, this is what's going on. Let's make a massive issue of this, where the uh, Atleti's fascist Nazi um, Frente Atletico were left behind in the stadium as a, as a security measure and when Marcelo and his kid came out to warm down, he took his kid who's now a junior, the, 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 the abuse he was given was just it was jailable, all of it and it was just as if, well, this is, this is what happens and it's, it's going on again and there's very little individuals can do except put a, a spotlight on it and say, this is wrong, this is you, this is a campaign and 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 keep ringing that bell until something happens. It's it just makes me it just that it's happening makes me furious with anger. And and that so many ordinary people are going. Ah, oh, well, it's it, it's because he's provocative. Well, I'll, I'll provoke you in a second. Honestly, I've had to restrain myself. I'm I'm bunching my fists right now on television programs in 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 public listening to them. Bull that people speak about it, Joe. Ah, uh, Vinicius. I, I, people will, will remember his Instagram post uh, a number of months ago, calling this out. You said he's been chippy. Has that been a general chippiness? Does he speak about this on a regular basis? No, it's because when they're kicking the lumps out of him, he's beginning to go and go back in their faces. Okay. And <laughs> she like, John Giles is one of the linchpins of your output. When John, when John was targeted, John went out and went, I tell you what, I'm not having that. Here's one back. Mm. Infamously. Infamously. And I grew up in that era. And I will not say, if, if referees say to Vinicius, so you and Alan kicked, that guy kicked you and then you punched him. I'm sending you off as well. Fair enough. Yeah. That's right. But if, if, if because he's getting lippy or he's getting in the face of people who are trying to kick his legs off his body, that the, the the debate in in society and in some of the media is oh well look you see he's bringing it upon himself no that's not how it began so when I say chippy it's because he is he is not willing to take it and I see no reason why he should mm. I, frankly if if I'm honest the day when he does what Zidane did to Matarazzi or Kant and I did to that you know BMP support at Sellers Park. And he, and he he bunches his fist and knocks somebody flat or you know splatters their nose all over the face. 
I'll, I'll, be, I'll understand and I'll say, listen, take your punishment, mate. You know, punishment's coming, but shh, fair enough. That's terms the rules. If you want, if you want to transgress normal rules of society that much on the pitch, then you take your medicine. Sorry, uh, no, but no, that's no. what I feel. No, no, no. Uh, final thought, and this is far less important, so we'll draw a line under previous conversation. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not an easy segue out of that. Uh, Casemiro, no, no. Casemiro, Casemiro. I, I presume uh, there's a general awareness that he's in the running for player of the year and he's having an, a, a glorious season. Uh, it's it's so interesting in Casemiro. Like, I, I count myself probably in the majority who did not realise this guy was so brilliant. And when we talked about Modric and Kroos, it was always Casemiro third. And, you know, it was, yeah, no, he's good and he's part of that midfield tree. Uh, Graeme Souness, when he signed... He's a steady Eddie, good player, steady Eddie. That that was uh, a perception. Man, he's blown me away. Did you? Did, were you always aware? Was he always this good? Was he always this rounded a player, or, or is he almost um, uh, flourishing as being the main man in a midfield? Then no. Um, uh, for years, I've been writing about the fact that um, he's massively intelligent. That he is ten times the footballer he was ever given credit yes, for because he's yeah. clearly athletic and a physical specimen but his football brain has been so i'm like you but in reverse i own up that i wrote a column saying how broken hearted i was not to be seeing him every week because every single week was an education to be a co-commentator in a game that casimiro was playing in was a joy where i fell down was i did not see manchester united repairing themselves quickly enough to be at his level mm. and I genuinely thought it was like no mate you, you, you could have been doing and I was wrong because they've got the daily standards right Tim Hag's ideas are right his coaching staff has done well they've, they've changed the the squad sufficiently enough players that are new are, have hit their marks Rashford turned up in the summer it isn't recently turned up in the summer with a completely different attitude and I was short of understanding about United. In terms of Casemiro, I, I was just devastated that we wouldn't be seeing the last four or five years of his career in La Liga. And I miss him still. I'm thrilled that he's getting his recognition. Yeah. And recently, three, four weeks ago, I did with my, my sponsors. They were arguing, who's the player of this? Yeah, and it was howling outside. And I was like, no. I think it will. I think it can be. And I think it may well be Casemiro because he is an absolute he's a he's a rascal an absolute rascal um he knows every single trick and i could not having seen him hundreds of times tell you how it is that he continually makes himself invisible to referees however his football brain is sensational i'm fortunate enough to have interviewed him and it all comes through to bright man real visionary on the pitch and good luck, bloody Premier League. Good luck, Manchester United. I wish he mm. was still here, Josh. Makes yeah, me, yeah, yeah. Makes me so angry. Not Vinicius angry, but still angry. Yeah, well, I hear you. I hear you. Because it's just, I, 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 you know, in the, not to pick someone out unfairly, but in the guise of Schweinsteiger coming to a dysfunctional Manchester United and it just being meh, I thought, well, Casemiro's coming to dysfunctional yeah. United. He's 30. It's a good paycheck. This will be meh. He's, he's so hungry. I mean, he's he's celebrating uh, winning a tackle. Do, do you know? Do you know that, Joe? you know the thing that, that that's beautiful? Then is that um, he said he went to Madrid and said, "I I have to 
I have to be challenged again. I have to. He he wanted to go. I have no doubt he'll be being paid more. None. However, uh, he expressed it to Madrid. He kickstarted the process, and when he expressed it to Madrid, he was like, "I need a new challenge." Okay. Now heavens above for him to do that when neither Modric or Cruz have needed a new challenge, not Courtois nor Benzema, and understandably when they. You know, they, they might hunt down Barcelona and win the title again. They don't tend to retain the title for many years. Um, what were they last season? They were European and Spanish ch- uh, champions last summer, right? But my memory tells me that was only the second time Madrid have achieved that since 1958. Mm. Real Madrid, to be jointly Spanish and European champions um, twice in 60-something years. And Casemiro needs a new challenge. Instead of like, we'll do this again. Mm. So when you see him uh, ticking off uh, Bruno for being selfish at the end of the final or pumping his fist at a tackle, that bit, I'm not surprised at at all. Level of playing, not surprised at. I go again and mea culpa, I admit, I didn't think United would be ready for him. Interesting, interesting. I, I did not know he agitated. I had just presumed they looked at Camavinga and then in a very no. Ar- Arsene Wenger-esque way, they had preempted his rapid decline and said, Casemiro... He, he, asked, he asked to go and they didn't want... They loved, they loved the amount of money they got because it helps with their FFP too. But it was his move. Yeah. And boy, oh boy don't, I mean, any profession. When somebody's at the top and says, I need something new. He's, listen, my favourite artist is Paul Weller, who's like, don't... don't don't tell me about the jam and style cancer. Don't tell me about two albums ago. I'm 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 moving on. Something new, baby. Don't don't ask for greatest hits. That's Casemiro. We are out of time. Thank you so much. Graham Hunter. Lovely, lovely to be with you again. Sorry to anybody else I've offended. Joe, thanks for having me, baby. See you. Graham Hunter with us in the line. Uh football show is brought to you by Sky. Watch every live Premier League game this season. Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. The uh, first leg of El Clasico Copa del Rey again on uh, Thursday, if you're looking out for that. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. Watch every UEFA Champions League and Europa League match live on BT Sport this season. This is News Talk.